Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Welcome everybody watching online, everybody in the room here. Hey, just so you know, today's message is going to be a little bit different. It's kind of an in-house vision mission message. And if you want to know some more specifics about how we're going to be doing these things, you need to come to the meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. So there's your little teaser, right? We'll see all of you guys here and we'll have a packed house. It'll be wonderful. All right. So I want you to think just in your own mind here, okay? You don't have to say anything out loud. But when I say the name of our church, Hill Country Bible Church, I want you to think about what word stands out the most to you. See, for me, it's not the term Hill Country, maybe because there are no hills in Georgetown, Texas. Has anybody else noticed that? And and of course, every church is a church, so it's not that word church either. For me, it's the word Bible. You know, I love, love, love that word Bible. In fact, my greatest passion in life is God, and by extension, his word. You see, this is no ordinary book right here. This book is supernaturally charged because it contains the very words of the living God. Hebrews 4.12 says it best. It says, for the word of God, the Bible, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, it was the words in this book right here that penetrated my heart like a sword the first time I read them. I was given a red-letter Bible as an unbeliever, and I opened it up, and I was very quickly convicted of the fact that I did not live up to the standards that Jesus set on the Sermon on the Mount, like not even close. So the Bible immediately convicted me of my sin. And for a while, I, I was convinced that I was hopelessly lost. But then I read further into the New Testament, and I encountered the whole concept of grace. That yes, yes indeed, I am a hopelessly lost sinner, that I cannot redeem myself, that I am deserving of being separated from God for all eternity, but that's why Jesus came, to die in my place on a cross, to pay the price in full for all of my sins. So this book right here penetrated my heart like a sword, but then this same book, it healed my heart too. And maybe that's what ignited my passion for the Bible, because I could tell this book is unlike any other, that it was alive and active. And to this day, the Bible continues to intrigue me and convict me and challenge me and inspire me. In fact, if you were to ask me, Brian, why did you get into ministry in the first place? I would tell you, it was this book right here. It was the Bible. When God first called me into ministry, I actually thought I was going to be a seminary or Bible college professor, not a pastor, because my primary love and passion and gifting is mining and communicating truths from this book right here. So... What does all this have to do with our vision, the direction God has for our church? Well, simply put, the Bible is the standard for everything that we should do in church life and in ministry. And so if what we see happening in the church doesn't line up with what we see in this book right here, the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with us. 
And so over the years, I gotta be honest with you, the Bible has created a lot of problems for me in church life and ministry. Because I took what I saw in the scriptures and I compared it to what I saw in churches and it just didn't line up. And again, the problem was not with this book. It was with churches, it was with Christians, it was with denominations and creeds and traditions that were getting in the way of God's original plan that he penned for us in this book right here. And eventually, I discovered that it was really misinterpretations of the scripture, usually based on a poor understanding of the original languages or the context, but the end result was the same. This massive disconnect between God's word and what we see in the church. You say, Brian, what do you mean by this? Well, let me toss out some examples. As a new believer, my experience initially with the church was that it was kind of safe, kind of subdued, kind of routine, dare I say, boring at times. But when I read about Jesus in the scripture, like there was nothing routine or boring or safe about the son of God and his ministry. I mean, this guy, he touched lepers, he befriended prostitutes, he enlisted zealots and tax collectors to be a part of his discipleship team. In other words, Jesus was a revolutionary. I mean, he he just shook things up all the time. And so that was one disconnect, but that may have been the least of my problems that the Bible created for me. Because the more I got involved in church life, the more I noticed that there were a lot of people who were critical and and judgmental and self-righteous and nitpicky, like all under the guise of being more holy or more right than others. And I saw these divisions and and factions and denominations within Christendom fighting against each other. And that didn't line up with Jesus' prayer for his people. You know, in John 17, 23, Jesus prayed this for all future Christians. He said that they may be brought to complete unity. That was his prayer. Man, I want all these Christians to be one, to be brought into complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. And so again, the Bible didn't line up with what I saw happening around me. The Bible created this tension for me. And the more I studied the Bible and compared it to what I saw happening, especially in the church in America, the worse it got. And this became true even about basic issues like salvation. Did you know that over 150 times in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when I say salvation, I mean initial salvation, that act of coming to Jesus, being saved from eternal death and being given eternal life. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Over 150 times it says this. And so we're gonna look at every one of those passages this morning, okay? You guys have a few hours? Here we go. Now I'm gonna go easy on you. Let me give you a couple of my favorites. This is my all-time favorite verse right here. It's the verse that led me to Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, for it is by grace, that word means a gift, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. It's not a work salvation, not by things we do, not by works, why? So that no one can boast. How about this classic verse? Many of you know it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so the Bible was so clear to me that you put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life and you're saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. 
But as I got involved in church life, I learned that that's not what a lot of churches, what a lot of pastors and preachers and, and teachers really believed and taught. And up front here, I want to give a little disclaimer because I will say that many of these individuals are dear brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ whom I love, but their doctrine to what I see in the Bible doesn't line up and it does cause problems for people. You say, well, what are you talking about, Brian? Well, there are those who would say that, okay, yeah, salvation is by grace through faith, but if you sin a lot or if you stop believing in Jesus, you can lose your salvation. Okay, then after you put your faith in Jesus, what you have then again is a works-based salvation. And then you gotta ask the question, how good is good enough? Especially when the apostle Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Or James 3, 2 tells us that we all stumble in many ways. And if you can lose your salvation, then honestly, you can never truly be assured that you're going to heaven. At least not until you die. You know, that, that creates issues. That's not what I see when I open up my Bible. I see promises like the one Jesus made in John 5, 24. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you. He doubles down on that one. Not just truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. Bank on this. This is a promise, Jesus says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. That word believe there in the Greek speaks of a one-time act of faith, not continual belief. Believes him who sent me has eternal life, never-ending, everlasting life. You've got that. And will not be judged. Some versions use the word condemned. That's correct. It's talking about condemnation to hell. Jesus promised you're not going to be condemned. But this person has crossed over from death to life. So you've got a three-way promise from God, past, present, and future. You have eternal. The moment you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. Now, if you have life that never ends and then you lose it, you never had life that never ends. You never had eternal life. Next promise, you will not be judged. That's a promise in the future. If you have that gift of eternal life and you lose it, then you will be judged. So that wouldn't be true either. And he says, hey, guess what? You've crossed over. Used to be in death. Now you've crossed over to life. So then I learned that there are those also within Christendom who would say, okay, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once saved, always saved but they would also teach that you can't be 100% sure of your salvation. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, they would say, oh yeah, you can't ever lose your salvation, but if you sin too much, you prove that you were never saved in the first place. And, and it's not because you never came to that point where you put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. It's because Jesus might not have died for you. It's a view, it's more popular than you may think. It's called limited atonement. And it says that Jesus only died for certain people. And if you're not one of them, all the faith in the world will not save you. It's kind of a fatalistic theology that teaches God either chooses you or he doesn't. You have no say in the matter. That the universe is fixed. Your salvation is fixed. You have no real free will. God either draws you and saves you or he doesn't. Well, that's not, not at all what I see when I open up my Bible. Speaking of our eternal salvation, Revelation 22:17 opens it wide whosoever will, anybody, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And when I would dialogue with these individuals, I would ask them, well, how can you ever be sure then that you are one of these chosen, that you are truly saved? And inevitably, the answer would be, well, you can't be 100% sure, at least not by looking at the Bible. But you can look to your own life for, for fruit in your own life, okay? But then we're back to that works salvation, right? 
It becomes a very subjective experience, right? <laughs> Did you say, okay, if I see enough good works in me, then maybe that's an indication the spirit might be alive in me. I might be one of the chosen. But then you gotta get, get back to that whole work salvation. How good is good enough? And I would ask the question, does God really want us to look at our own lives to know if we're saved or to look to his word? Because listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13. This is John speaking. He says, these things I have written. I have written. It's based on written truth. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may wonder if you have eternal life. So that you may introspect, so that you may look at your own life to see. No. So that you may know. By the word, by the, that word in the Greek, by the way, with certainty. Know for sure based on the written truth of God's word. And so just, I could go on and on here, but these discrepancies between what I heard taught and what I saw in the Bible, it just continued to cause me problems. And and it turns out I, I wasn't alone. Like I would dialogue with other people and some of them became so disillusioned by the church that they, they left the church. And often they would say to me, man, Brian, it just seems like the church has more in common with the Pharisees than with Jesus himself. And let's be honest, once you go back to any kind of work salvation, then people kind of get to pick and choose which works will get you cast out of God's system. Like there are those who would say that all homosexuals are going to hell, even if they put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. Or there are those who say that, you know what, if you commit suicide, you're not going to be in heaven. Anybody who's committed suicide won't be in heaven. Because according to their system, Jesus didn't die for that sin. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Well, the Apostle Paul, he actually addressed this whole issue in a letter to the church of Galatia. Okay, this is fascinating to me. Because if you know the whole story of the Galatian church, they started by faith, it was grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and they had gone back to works of the law rather than the grace of Jesus. And Paul, throughout this letter, he addresses them as Christians. You gotta know this. He says, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers, he's talking to Christians here. And listen to what he says. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. I think that's exactly what's happened to so many in the church today. They've just fallen away from the good news of the grace of Jesus. Which brings us back to our vision at Hill Country Bible Church. People, we wanna bring everyone back to the good news, and it is good news. The good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we say here at Hill Country Bible Church, our vision is to reach every man, woman, and child with the good news of the grace of Jesus. So first, we want everyone to come to faith in Jesus, but it's more than that. It's way more than that. We want everyone to live in confidence, to live out of their new identity as forgiven, confident, assured, fearless, victorious children of the living God. We are not perfect, (laughs) far from, we're not better than others. We all stumble in many ways. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) We all sin, but we are forgiven. We are cleansed and we are loved unconditionally. And that's why we say here, we are imperfect people doing life with a perfect God 
so we can experience the best life possible. What Jesus calls abundant life. Abundant life. And it starts now. It can start here. So, our commitment as a church is to be a church that reflects what's in this book right here. In short, a Bible church. And if we're going to do that, a good place to start then would be to go back to the very beginning of the church in Acts 2 and take a look at what did they do back then. And fortunately for us, we are given a little snapshot of what these early Christians did together as a church. And we're going to read this. This is Acts 2. This is really good stuff. This is the beginning of the church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Isn't that an amazing picture of the church and what, what we can be like? Or does anyone else get excited about that? Like, this pumps me up. And there's one word here, one word here that I believe explains why the early church was so fruitful. It's at the very beginning. You ready for this? They devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to these things. Let's all say devoted. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am devoted. Go ahead, real quick. Yeah, there we go. Devoted. So in this series, we're going to talk about all that the early church was devoted to, what they devoted themselves to. But we got to start with this word. This is the make it or break it word. If we're going to be a Bible church, okay, if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, it all comes back to this word devoted. It's actually one of the most important words in the entire New Testament. It's the Greek term proskartereo, right? You guys all say that real quick. Oh, yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, <clears throat> anyhow. Not easy to say, but let me tell you what it means. I love this. It means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. Oof. Live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. That's how those early Christians lived. I mean, they were persistent, never ending. They had this obstinate devotion to the things of Jesus. And you know what? The reality is all of us in this room here, we have our own proscartereo, right? I mean, we all have our ongoing obsessions. We might not know what they are, but I'm telling you, we have them. Like you're gonna be devoted to something. For a lot of people, it's their kids or their grandkids, right? They're pretty important, wouldn't you say? I mean, we had them, so we might as well love them, right? Okay. <laughs> but, but what can happen is they can keep us really, really, really busy. And the next thing we know, our lives kind of revolve around them. For some people, it's, it's a career because, man, I'm going to be successful. For some, it's their hobby, right? It used to be CrossFit. Now it's pickleball, whatever, right? <laughs> Some it's their shoe game. Give me the wide shot, you know. For, for some, it's like having a certain amount of money in the bank account, financial success, the house. For others, it, it can be, I don't know, dream vacation, entertainment. Got to get my hands on those tickets. But it's whatever occupies and grabs a hold of the majority share of your heart, your affection, your devotion. 
And I think the challenge we face in the church in America today is that there are far too many Christians who just have a comfortable, kind of casual approach to Jesus, what you might call cultural Christianity. It is not proscartereo. It is not fully devoted followers of Jesus. I mean, these early Christians, they were intensely devoted. And what were they devoted to? I'm glad you asked. Okay, here we go. Back when I was in seminary, I'm going to give you a little backtrack here. Back when I was in seminary, I learned that based on Acts chapter 2, you can break down all the core activities of the early church, the pillars of the church, into five categories based on the acronym WIFES, W-I-F-E-S. And yes, I'm fully aware of the fact that the plural of wife is spelled with a V, all right? All you grammar Nazis, I got that. This is just what my seminary profs taught me, all right? And it stuck with me, probably because it did have that little off there with the F. It just stands for worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, service. All that the early church did can be categorized into that five, those five categories there. Let me just walk through real quick just to show you worship. What do they do? Well, you see them praising God. You see them praying. see them breaking bread. That's communion. That can all be under the category of worship. How about instruction? Yeah, they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship. Well, they were together. They gathered in homes. They shared everything in common. Evangelism. People were being saved daily. And serving. They served through their giving, through their sharing. And obviously, they had to serve those outside the church because it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. So these were the five pillars of devotion in the early church. And we have adopted those for our church as well. Why? Because we want to be a Bible church. Now, we've changed just a few of the English terms and modifiers here, but it's still the exact same pillars of devotion. And here they are. This is the way we say it. Passionate worship and prayer, biblical instruction, authentic community, relational outreach, and gift-driven serving. Let me elaborate on each of these. First of all, people, we want to pursue passionate worship and prayer. But what does that mean? That means there's going to be energy, there's going to be life, there's going to be spirit, there's going to be zeal in our praying, in, in our worshiping. It's not going to be stale, liturgical singing and praying. It's going to be heartfelt, passionate worship and prayer. <clears throat> Next, we're going to have biblical instruction. Yeah, lots of churches do a lot of instructing, but does it really come back to this book right here? Say, we are a Bible church, not just in name. We're going to base what we do, what we teach on this book, biblical instruction. Okay, next there's authentic community. We purposely chose that word community because it speaks of sharing in common, which is exactly what that word fellowship means. A lot of times people don't understand what fellowship means. It means sharing in common. And we use the modifier authentic because it's one thing just to hang with other Christians, right? It's another thing to really open up, to be real, to be authentic. We're not talking about you get dinner or coffee with somebody. We're talking about the one another's of the Bible, like encourage one another, exhort one another, confess to one another. In other words, be real, be authentic. And yeah, it takes time to cultivate those kind of deep relationships, but that's our goal here, authentic community. Next, there's relational outreach. If possible, we want to focus on cultivating a relationship first. It's the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we believe the best way to share the love of Jesus is by first demonstrating the love of Jesus. 
So we build relational connections, and then that builds a bridge to where we can share the good news of the grace of Jesus, which brings us back to our vision, reaching every man, woman, and child with the good news of the grace of Jesus. And it's why we do everything we do here. It's why we are planting a church next month up the road here in Harker Heights to reach more people. It's why we push over 25% of the money that comes in, we push it out the doors to benevolence, to local missions, to foreign missionaries. Like we wanna think big people. We need to be faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm, risk takers, fully devoted to Christ's mission of making disciples. Like we don't wanna insult God with small thinking or, or safe living. I'm telling you, as long as there is one person in this world who is lost and hurting, we will not stop. I mean, as long as there's one person out there who's broken, one person who's maybe suicidal, one person who can't get free from drugs, one person who's still in bondage to pornography, or one person who's still living in abuse, or one person who doesn't have access to clean water, like as long as there's any person out there who doesn't know the good news that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, we will not stop. We will be devoted. All right, one more pillar we got to talk about. Kind of defines how you will approach this mission. It is gift-driven serving. People, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you a spiritual gift. And it's been given to you by God to serve the body of Christ, to reach those around you, okay? You have a gift. You need to discover it, and you need to employ it. That's the way the body of Christ functions properly when all the parts are working together. Like if you just sit back and watch and you don't do something, then literally there is an unfulfilled assignment with your name on it. Like you have gifts, you are needed. So go for it. But, but be careful because if you start serving in the church, it might change you. You might get weird, okay? Like you might love it so much it becomes your proscartereo, your main object of devotion. So over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk in depth about each of these pillars of the church. And, and every Sunday, you're going to hear from somebody here in our church who's been called by God, ordained by this church, and commissioned by our elders to go out and live out our mission. And so next Sunday, you're going to hear from Steve Pascuzzi. He's our church planner up in Harker Heights. He's right there. Raise your hand, Steve. Let's applaud Steve. <coughs> Steve. He's going to be bringing you the message of how he has gifts that God has given him, and he wants to use those to reach the hurting, the broken, the lost in the greater Colleen area. And then after that, Josh Bissell, he's going to talk about passionate worship and prayer and how God has called him to make a difference now as a Christian artist beyond the walls of this church. And then after that, you're going to hear from our missions director, Chuck Abbott, and he's going to talk about how East West Ministries uses this whole concept of relational outreach to reach the lost in Vietnam and worldwide. And then you're going to hear from Mike Dernan. He's going to talk about how he has seen this concept of authentic community change an entire culture of people over in the Philippines. And if by the end of this series, folks, you're not pumped about being fully devoted, living on mission, we have several doctors in the church who will check your pulse. Just come talk to me. Seriously, though, this is going to be an inspiring series. We've called it the stories 
we will tell. The stories we will tell. Because if we line up our behavior with what we see in this book right here, watch out. Watch out. You, your family, this church, Georgetown, Texas, Harker Heights, the world will never be the same. And just imagine, just imagine what God can do if we go all in, proscartereo, fully devoted. What can God do if we fully devote ourselves to his mission? Paul gives us a little glimpse in Ephesians 3. Let me read this to you as we close. Paul says, now to him, him, God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Whatever you guys can dream up, God can do more. Not just more, immeasurably more. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, it's all about him, his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word. And you've given us all we need. Through your word and through your Holy Spirit inside of us, we have all we need to make this happen. But we are fully dependent upon you. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for all of us that we would just stop going to church and start being the church. That we would live on mission that we would get excited in the coming weeks as we talk about these different pillars, that we would look at our own lives and say, how can I get more involved? What can I do? How can I be proscartereo? That we would change our devotion in life and, and that we would get excited about what you have in store for us. God, you've done so many amazing things here at Hill Country Bible Church, and, and we know that this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. So God, we love you. We are absolutely 100% dependent on your spirit to pull this off. But we believe that you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I hope to see many of you, whoever can make it tonight at six o'clock, we're gonna talk about some more specifics here. You guys have a wonderful afternoon.